Welcome to Search Talk Live with search engine optimization and marketing experts, Robert O'Haver and Matt Weber. Powered by the Robert Palmer family of companies. Good afternoon and welcome back to another episode of Search Talk Live. I'm your host, Robert O'Haver, along with Matt Weber of Roar Internet Marketing. Um, I thought I... And apparently some farm animals. Yeah. <laughs> Matt, how are you? I'm doing well, man. You uh, getting ready for Halloween? Uh, not really. <laughs> no? Are you a big Halloween guy? Not anymore. I no? used to be. Now, did you do costumes at one time? Yeah, yeah. Um, my son keeps, every year, wants to go to, to uh, PubCon, or not PubCon, <laughs> um, MegaCon. Uh, and dress up there, but uh, that I think he likes dressing up there more than he does going house to house for Halloween. Yeah, yeah. And when you're when you did dress up, what was the last costume you remember doing? Batman. You were Batman. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> nice. Very nice. I went one time to a party dressed as uh, an SEO expert. Oh really? Yeah. I have a shirt that says nobody got it. Yeah, I have a shirt that's. <laughs> yeah. You have the actual costume for SEO expert? No, I have a, a t shirt that says, at, at, during the day, I dress as an SEO expert. Okay, I'll call that a costume for that. Yeah. 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 Cool. <laughs> so, uh, a couple things I want to bring up, guys. Um, I want to thank everybody for listening to the show, for one thing. Uh, but those of you who don't know, we're on pretty much all this places you can be we're on spotify we're on itunes play store you can listen to us in all those places uh we monitor twitter pretty heavily so when you have questions or we look at the email obviously you can email us questions you have for the show uh but we really uh pretty much on all platforms so if you if you want to pick up the show while you're sitting in the car or or on a run yeah yeah <laughs> you can do and that. tell your friends uh, I, I tweeted out last week. I took a. I was watching a video of Barry Schwartz doing his weekly update, the search buzz, and because uh, I watch it in my car because I have a Tesla, and um, the I tweeted it out to him and he loved it. He was like, "I saw that." Awesome. Yeah, he said something like, "This is the closest I'll ever get to being <laughs> in a Tesla." Yeah. yeah, very nice. Yeah, it was cool. All right, well, today, guys, we have a great show. Uh, we, we, we try to give a great show every week, but uh, today our guest, he is the director and SEO of PMG, uh, Jason White. Jason, how are you? Good. How are you guys? Good, good. Welcome to the show. Um, if you could tell us a little bit about yourself. A uh, little bit, huh? <laughs> I've been an SEO for about 16 years. I think like most people, I kind of accidentally found the industry and started scoping out some stuff on forums. Um, I've optimized everything from things that sites that sold segways to sites that sold embroidered patches. Uh, mostly, I play in the travel and retail space right now. We're pretty e-com heavy, and uh, we have a ton of retail clients at PMG. Uh, PMG is located in Fort Worth, Texas, and uh, originally I'm from upstate New York. So, um, you know, kind of never never thought I would consider myself a Texan, but here I am. <laughs> Well, we were pretty excited to have you as a guest because uh, I think today you're going to tell people a completely different way to think about SEO. Is that right? Hopefully, yeah. Um, some, of my, some of my stuff's a little out there, but other times we, we can resonate pretty well. Yeah. Well, we, uh, we preach best practices here. so <laughs> and, <laughs> But we like new ideas yes, and we like new, new ways to do things. That sounds good. Yeah. 
All right. So let's, let's uh, so today we're going to be talking about how to to utilize uh, various SEO tools to kind of do the heavy lifting and and, and you know in, increase your you know your your success online with uh, with SEO. So let's dive into it. Jason, where do you want to start? Um, I mean, mostly I think that a lot of the tools that we have available to us today are very reactive, and we're waiting for the data to come to get baked uh, before we're able to make like, an accurate decision on it. And so a lot of what we try to do is pivot our clients to proactive strategies where, A, we're actually able to own the data. We can validate its authenticity, like if it's good stuff or um, you know, if it's a little manipulated or dirty. And then able to action on it to make changes to our technical roadmaps, make changes to our content marketing, um, you know, leverage paid data or social listening to build into a content marketing program of some sort. Uh, but mainly, like that's that's what I'm advocating for is, is a proactive approach to SEO. So, what are the the first three steps to be proactive rather than reactive? Well, I think it always starts with your goals. You need to understand what it is you're trying to achieve. I think a lot of us are trying to increase rankings. We're trying to increase the amount of revenue that our websites can grow. But looking at those goals, you also need to understand the traffic mix of where you're getting uh, success right now, where your visitors are finding you, and help build that into your program or your platform a little bit. So once you have those goals defined and you understand the sources, I think it's time to look at tools as uh, your second step and really look at like the whole ecosystem and analyze your workflow day to day or how a client does ticketing um, internally with their dev team, but also then tie that back to the goals and understand the tools that you need to build to support that whole ecosystem. Um, you know, there's a lot of different tools that are available, but it boils down to it. SEO industry is using all the same stuff. There's really not anything that's like special or different. It's all in the approach and how we do the heavy lifting and all the uh, number crunching. And it's really, and it's really not just one tool. It's, it's a, a marriage of all of the tools, really, or most of the best tools. You know. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I found I think that like helping sites recover from Penguin really hit it home for me. How you need to diversify your data sources and that you couldn't just rely on Search Console. You couldn't just rely on Open Site Explorer. You needed SEMrush. You needed Ahrefs. Um, you need to like to source from all of these tools possible and then do that crunching, remove the duplicates. And I've kind of taken that approach and continue to do so and just sourcing as much as possible. There's definitely, you know, some people like uh, SEM Rush versus uh, Stat or another tool, but there's some just basic players. And no matter what you're plugging and playing with, you can build uh, the data reporting that you want. You can build the alerting that you want pretty easily. Uh, I like to use Zapier, but you can also use if this, then if this, then that, which are applicants. And they help you just kind of take marketing automation to a different place in pushing your data where you want it to go. Wow. Give us an example of how you use Zapier. So if you're using uh, deep crawl, <laughs> you can schedule deep crawl crawls. You can schedule Screaming Frog crawls as well. And so at PMG, we actually have Screaming Frog on the cloud, and we're able to automate our crawling at night. And so there's scheduled crawls that we perform 
and we're able to push this data into a proprietary system that we have called Alley. But we also push it into Google Spreadsheets. We push it into uh, ticketing with some of our clients that use Jira. So if we're able to find like a lot of 404 errors or we're able to find um, redirect issues or canonical tags, it actually can push notifications through Jira so that we're able to go through all the tags and understand our workflows and what kind of data we need to prepare to be able to support the dev teams. So you can create a zap between Screaming Frog and Jira? Yep. As long as it's on the web, you know, like he said, he's got it on the The cloud-based product, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you have Screaming Frog locally, it won't work quite as well, but there's still different ways that you can do it. Um, The Internet is infinitely flexible, so a little curiosity, a little playing with JavaScript and, you know, breaking a whole lot of things and then fixing them. But you can build just about anything you want. Uh, it's much easier than it's ever been. But a huge time saver. Oh, massive time saver. Yeah. 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 And so how do you use IFTT? You know, I haven't been using it so much lately. Uh, they changed their interface, and I realized that Zapier gave you a lot more flexibility in that you could customize the uh, zaps, as they call them, a little bit better. Um, but I was using a lot of uh, IFTT to do link building a couple of years ago. Um, and actually, like, this is a whole system that I used to get a job once at an agency. I like stalked the CEO on Twitter, and um, I got an interview. Nice. You used IFTT to stalk somebody on Twitter <laughs> in order to yeah. get a job? I, uh, I've done it. I have a couple of uh, link building case studies, and I have... Uh, which, do you want to hear the link building, or do you want to hear how I got the job? Well, <laughs> I'll bet they're <laughs> closely connected, but let's start with getting the job first and how you automated that, because that may give us some clues as to what other things that you could potentially automate. Be great for those so, looking for a job, I too. Really wanted to, <laughs> I really wanted to join an agency. I was working in-house. Um, I was working in Woodstock for this like old hippie, and it was really interesting. He spent like six months out of the year in India. Uh, he was a Sanskrit scholar. And so he would live in a cave, and uh, the other six months of the year, he'd come to back to Woodstock, and he would sell embroidered patches, like what you'd find on a Boy Scout uniform or bikers, bikers uniform. So I, uh, I was having a kid at the time. I was buying a house. I really wanted to get out of there, and I wanted to um, join an agency. And so I thought the snake oil was SEO, and I really wanted nothing to do with SEO. I thought paid was a way better way to go, but I couldn't get an interview in with this agency that I wanted to be at. So I realized that if I set up these alerts anytime the CEO tweeted, because uh, I had noticed that he was, he was fairly act, active on Twitter, um, if I set up these alerts anytime he tweeted, it gave me the ability to respond back to him in the moment. And so there was a couple of tweets that went by before I found something that I could actually relate to. But over the course of like two months, I developed a relationship with a guy, and then he tweeted out a job opportunity for SEO. And so I didn't really care what it was at the time. I was like, I just want to join this agency. I'll do SEO. I'm fine at SEO. And um, that's how I ended up on on this side of the house, basically. Interesting. So then how did you use IFTT for link building? So I would do uh, similar things where if uh, I, I would do a lot of sleuthing on the individual, I would find their digital footprint. Sometimes I would get lucky and that they would uh, do like Foursquare check-ins or they would do Facebook check-ins. And so I would build all this uh, alerting and automation to give me uh, information on their daily life and what they were doing. And so 
In one example, I noticed that the editor of this newspaper, I was trying to get a placement for my client, and I really just wanted to get them an article. I didn't really care if there was like a link associated or anything like that. It was more like an awareness play for a franchisee in like a very specific market. And I noticed that the editor of this newspaper was checking into the same place, same coffee shop every morning and getting a chai. And so he wasn't responding to any of my emails. He wasn't responding to like any of my tweets or anything like that. And so I called the coffee shop up and I bought him a chai. And just like <laughs> from Jason, yada yada, you know, give me a call. And the next day, uh, as soon as he got the chai, he tweeted right back at me. Like That's he, he knew awesome. who I was. Well, well done. Well done. So wow. I replicated that a couple of a couple of ways. And it's not scalable. Uh, it's really like a high impact, high target type of strategy, but um, you know, like that death before DNF mindset, uh, sometimes gets the better of me and that I can't, I can't let something go. <laughs> well, let's, let's talk about something that you advocate that a lot of people have stepped away from and that's using server logs as an SEO tool. A lot of people don't even know where their server logs are because they use these tools that supposedly make that data much easier to read and digest. And we've gotten away from server logs. Why go back to them? It's all about layering your data. Uh, we know that there's micro algorithms. We know that there's like core algorithms. Different sites are going to be affected in different ways. And so the more information that you can own, the better. And I really like to layer our analytics and Google Search Console data as one layer. Um, anything ranking related, if we're targeting snippets or just targeting different phrases and answer boxes, location packs, that's going to be another layer. That server log layer is going to be the most actionable data that we have. Um, and so like that will be an additional layer to everything. Sometimes we'll, we'll build in some competitive analysis or something like that. Um, but with server logs, it's really endless. You know, a lot of places want to play on Amazon. And we can see the Amazon crawlers come to the domain and crawl the domain. And like, what are they looking for? What are they? What files are they accessing when they they come and do so? Um, you can do this with uh, Slack. Like, I can see the Slack pre-render bot ping the server, and so like that's a whole other strategy that you can put into play. Uh, besides just looking at old school search bots. Wow, interesting. Well, let's let's break it down for some of the folks that have really gotten away from their server logs. Give us a step-by-step, -step. where do you go to find your server logs? What do you do once you have them, and are there tools to help you decode that raw data? Yes, uh, you gotta make some friends, is what it comes down to. Uh, pay somebody off with some cookies, buy them a breakfast burrito, <laughs> uh, you know, like whiskey, whatever it takes. But uh, basically, you need to make friends with the, the dev team and ask them for access. Try to explain what it is that you're trying to do. Uh, server logs are like belly buttons. Every website should have one. And it just depends on how it's set up and how the information is being saved. Uh, it's probably like 50-50. I have to give feedback on some changes or tweaks that need to be made for uh, how they're stored. And generally, I've seen them like erased after 24, 48 hours. So sometimes you also need to get them to be saved for like a week or a month or longer um, and have them dumped in some type of repository. Uh, this is another way that like Zapier can come into play and, and like make life a little bit easier for you. Uh, but if you're on the cloud, there's a lot of ways that you can do it with like an S3 bucket uh, or you know something similar to that. And so once you've made the friend, uh, you have the, the, the data available to you, you can see it. There's really two different paths you can do. 
you can use Excel. Excel is cumbersome. You need to understand some specialized coding and, and kind of boil down the logs themselves a little bit, but it can still be impactful. I think the easiest way is using the, uh, the Screaming Frog log file analyzer uh, for like 160 bucks a year or something like that. It's the best going tool. And I, people say the same thing about the crawler. It's just kind of like an SEO tax. Uh, you, you buy those tools because they just rock and they do what you need. But it, uh, the log file analyzer allows you to custom code to find special bots. So if there's a bot that's uh, important to you, you can certainly code to find this and build it into your strategy and what you're trying to do. So what is some information that someone's going to get back from doing the Screaming Frog log analyzer that they might not get in any other way? Uh, exactly who's come to the site and when they're coming and then what they're experiencing when they come to the site. So one of the things that we see a lot is that repeated requests or repeated hits from a search bot will sometimes give a 200 code, but then occasionally it might give like a 403 or might give some type of redirect. Uh, there might be like a blip or inconsistency in the, the status code that it's giving. And so that's uh, something that gets highlighted in those server logs when you're able to, to store them in that way. Um, Yes, you'll get uh, status code from Search Console, but status codes are way more impactful when you're able to understand like the whole ecosystem and landscape and not just what uh, Google is giving you through Search Console or you get through Webmaster Tools. Well, so tell me about what's, what's something that's actionable that you saw in a server log that you said, wow, this is an epiphany-level observation, and what change did you make based on that? Uh, I've seen a lot of stuff. Uh, I've seen sites that do like uh, throttling and they'll do rate limiting so that when Googlebot comes to the site, they'll only like allow 100 URLs at a time to be crawled. And that's just limiting yourself. It's shooting yourself in the foot. Yeah, I was going to say, why would you do that? <laughs> exactly, yeah. Um, you know, like I think early on in my career, goal was to send so much content to a site that you shut the site down. It's kind of a bad goal, but it's kind of cool like thing to brag about at the same time. <laughs> But you, it, it can't happen these days, you know. Like the, it, for the the cloud to go down, it takes like a pretty big thing, and it brings down most of the, the web. So it's really tough to uh, have too much traffic being called from a server. Uh, so that's like a big one. Another one would probably be, and I, I see this pretty often too, is when you're able to look at your crawl file and you match that in versus your Google Analytics or Omniture data to understand where your traffic is coming from versus what the bots are crawling. I see a ton of wasted uh, time or a bit wasted budget on tag pages or author pages. Um, you know, like they're making really big requests. And a lot of times when you're comparing the GA versus that server log, you can really see uh, where you need to be doing a lot of technical cleanup, where your site could be potentially thin, and what Google is grading you or judging you on. Hmm. What do you think is the uh, most overlooked SEO metric for the average website? What do people miss more often than not? Um, I don't like looking at bounce rate time on site or pages per visit as one metric. I like to kind of combine those as a ratio. I think like on their own, they don't tell a very good story, but together they tell a more impactful story about what the user is doing. Tell us how you mean that. How do you combine them? 
it could be in a number of different ways, but I, I don't look at bounces just on its own. I also want to understand how much time somebody is spending on the page and if they're, it's a gateway into other pages. You know, that bounce could be because of a bad experience and that will also show up in the time on site. But if you're seeing a t high time on site and you're seeing a really high bounce rate, you know something is wrong with your, your analytics. And so it can be indicative of like another problem. So you kind of do a weighted sort where you take into consideration the average time on site and bounce rate in combination rather than them looking at each one of them independently. Yeah, yeah, and it kind of goes to client education too. Um, it's one of those pieces where like, clients will really look at bounce rate more than I will or more than I'll consider it. Mm -hmm. And so like, I, it's an opportunity to kind of explain like our ethos, our approach, um, you know, how we feel you should be looking at multiple different, it's kind of like how we were talking about sourcing your data from multiple sources. There's, it's one aspect to your site and there's a lot of other considerations that you need to have. That's great stuff, really great stuff. What role does social media play in your mind in SEO? I think the internet's a brilliant place to hide content. If you're not amplifying it, nobody's ever gonna find it. And so I think that social plays a pretty large role. Um, Certainly we have these gated gardens now or walled gardens and all that information isn't coming out, but you, you have to be there. And I think that like some of the third parties are actually a little bit better. So PMG, we kind of have an outlook of anywhere there's a search box, we can optimize for it. I'm not optimizing straight for Google anymore. I'm optimizing for anything and everything. So if I have content that's gonna go out for a client, I wanna make sure it's optimized on all the channels that it's also gonna be amplified on. And so, We'll look at uh, sites like Quora, I think is a social media site, but Quora also has wonderful SEO opportunities. And it's a place where you can go and source ideas for new content. It's also a place where you can seed new content. You could build backlinks to content that you're publishing. Um, you can also get uh, the answer ranked pretty well in related searches or just the straight classic 10 blue links organic. That's interesting, using Quora as a social media asset to help with your SEO rankings. And what, what differences might you make in optimizing content f to make it core friendly as opposed to making it Google friendly? The titles are gonna be impactful, the images that you use are gonna be impactful. Your best cases or best practices still hold true. You need to be active on there. You, know, you can't ex expect a success if you're just gonna post one or two questions and then disappear. It's a community, it's a watering hole, people congregate there. And so you need to expect and invest some time in there as well. Uh, so it needs to be part of like a larger strategy. And oftentimes too, we'll do a content audit and we'll see the content isn't performing so well in Google. Sometimes we can spin that off and use that content, answering a specific question, optimize it for Quora over uh, a landing page and you've automatically gotten more eyeballs or you've gotten some more referral traffic. You know, I think participating in communities on behalf of a client is a challenge for a lot of agencies or a lot of SEOs because I think they fall between this line of do I pretend I'm the client or yeah. do, I, do I say that I'm me where I really don't have this subject matter expertise to really participate in these communities. How do you handle that? When you go into a community like Quora, are you masquerading as your client? All of the above. 
It depends on the client's goals, depends on your trust and relationship with the client themselves. Uh, obviously, we're doing it in you know, ways that are in their best interest, but they know what we're doing too, and it's approved. You know, a lot of the, the clients that we work with, uh, we have legal considerations, we have uh, brand considerations, and we're still trying to get the marketing goal. So there's a lot of moving pieces in play, and it can be difficult to get their approval and to post on their behalf. Um, you know, a long time ago, before like Facebook brand pages were a thing, you needed to actually have like a physical user associated with the, the business page. And so I think that like there's certain certain people that have been in the industry long enough that have uh, comfort with personas and understand having used them in the past for the good that they can do, not necessarily like some of the shady stuff that people do with them. It's really tough for clients as well to kind of grasp the whole understanding of how to utilize it. It is, and I'll, I'll share with you a story. We have a client that we've been encouraging to have their employees participate in Facebook neighborhood groups and the Nextdoor app where people actively seek out recommendations for their service. Yeah. And the client can't get past the line of, oh, we don't want these employees who aren't paid brand ambassadors to really be messaging on behalf of the brand because that's not what they do in life. But they have so many employees at the uh, kind of foot level, if you will, that could cover these neighborhood apps and cover these neighborhood Facebook groups where they could make an impact. They're just not comfortable letting the employees speak on behalf of the brand. Yeah. And, and to some extent, you can't blame them. Hmm. But you know, so what do but what do consumers perceive? Would the consumers look at their lack of perfect punctuation and their lack of perfect grammar as authentic and germane? Whereas the brand is looking at it and going, "Oh no, we can't have somebody posting and having a misspell word or or having a punctuation error." Well, I mean, there's also things that could be said that's not appropriate. Almost like remember the IHOP situation, right? Where, oh yeah, I yeah. Mean, Right, exactly. So they've got that concern. So it's an interesting era that we're moving into. If, yeah. we're, if we're democratizing the messaging by letting everybody participate, yet brands are still hesitant to turn over the car keys and give it to folks who could be potentially good brand ambassadors. Now, you're, you're doing... It, I'm sorry, go ahead. It's not going to be right for all brands. There, no. It's definitely... you know. It, it is an area where your, your brand guidelines or your, your, what your brand stands for can come through. But you need to have somebody that's willing to take a little bit of that risk. Uh, I think Wendy's is like a, the, the, the darling example right now of what they've done on social media the last couple of years. And they've kind of changed the game and they've flipped the script and a lot of other people are following them. Mm-hmm. And I think that you have uh, breakout or upstart companies that understand this and are able to capitalize on that when they put a little bit of trust and they put some training behind the strategies that they want to use. You know, now contrast that with this. I came upon a company that actually made as part of people's performance reviews, you had to share X amount of the company's content on the social media platform of your choosing. Really? Yeah. So you had to demonstrate, hey, I, on LinkedIn, I shared the company's message five times. And on Twitter, I reposted. You could pick the platform. But you had yeah. to demonstrate some contribution to the company's social media effort by sharing content. That's pretty crazy, isn't it? That is. I, that's... I think it's a little restrictive. I've done a lot of like employee amplification, and it totally works. But it's also like something that's just kind of icky. Like it just doesn't feel good to, when you force yeah. it. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. It's like selling Amway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, if, you know, if, if maybe you can incentivize it with a sweepstakes environment or, yeah. uh, you know, gamify it in some way, right. yeah. I think that, you know, sometimes employees are overlooked as a vehicle to spread the content. I mean, think about how much money brands are paying agencies like yours to – to help spread that content, and they may have a less expensive vehicle to spread that content at their disposal, and they just really don't know how to get the troops going in one direction. I, I think, in my experience, gamifying it has been where it's been most successful, and it's kind of amazing to me what people will do for, um, you know, an Amazon Echo or Kindle or like a hundred dollar gift card. Crazy. Um, and like doing like monthly monthly tally points and competitions and stuff, and. Um, it does work. Like there is traffic there, and there is a ton of reach, but it has to be right, and it has to fit your brand. It has to be like part of your marketing mix. I have mixed feelings on that because, like, you know, I've I've, I've done both, and then like, you know, if you're trying to be a lead gen company, and you get people to sign up so that they can sign up to possibly win a an iPad or whatever, it's typically they're looking out for the iPad and and don't win your business, but it really depends on the business type, you know? Meaning that the uh, aspect of gaining the prize is more important to them than the actual product that the sweepstakes is for. But, you know, I'll tell you why I think this is an important topic, Robert and Jason, is that if you're a part of any of these neighborhood apps or if you're part of a Facebook neighborhood page where you live, look at how often now people are going to those places and saying, hey, I need a, I need a dentist. I need a podiatrist. I need to just watch it, right? And these are people that are no longer going to the Google page to get that. So if you're selling one of those services, where's that going? Where's that trend going where the consumer is so lazy now they can't go to Google? They want someone to give them the data, hand it to them via one of these these neighborhood spots. We don't see those people in search anymore. They're not going to Google. Yeah. I mean, I, I use stuff like that. I use voice search a lot for that stuff, you know. But you, do you still do it for Google? You do a search? Yeah. Don't you go to a neighborhood uh, Facebook page? Uh, no. <laughs> Are you a member of any neighborhood Facebook page? Yes. Okay. Yes. But don't you see how many people go to there and go, hey, I'm looking for a plumber, ISO, lawn company? <laughs> yeah. And so that's, not, that's, that's one less Google search that you could have gotten in front of if you were doing SEO for somebody in the lawn care business. It's important to be everywhere. Right? Yeah. yeah that's right. That's right. Any, anyway, there's a search box. I don't remember the stat, but majority of people don't know what native advertising is. Like it's some some crazy number, um, and so I think that's why people go to a lot of these like third party. I think Nextdoor is another great example, like Quora, where people go in that ISO thing, um, but like they're not understanding who's behind the recommendations that they're making in right. in all cases. Yeah, we have to take a break, but I. For the first time last week, I got exposed to the core. I think they call it the affiliate program because I've always wondered how does core really make money beside their ads. And so you can be compensated by them by asking questions that solicit, that generate answers. Huh. It's engagement. Yeah, but you can get paid for it. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. All right. So when we get back from our break, we're going to do what is called Who Influences the Influencer? And that's where we ask you, who influences you? Uh, on social media or wherever it may be. Um, But who do you follow the most right after these messages? Today's episode of Search Talk Live is sponsored by... Hey, Robert. 
You're here early for the show. Yeah, I got a ton of SEO work done this morning, and I got it done way ahead of schedule. Couldn't have done it without Ahrefs. Yeah, so much easier than using multiple programs and having data in a bunch of different places. Plus, being able to see what is holding a page back from ranking in Ahrefs is so much faster than picking through each part myself. Oh, yeah, I agree. We use Ahrefs because it's so easy to teach people at our agency how to use it. Their YouTube tutorials couldn't be better. It's one thing to have a tool. It's another thing to know your team is using it to its full capacity. I don't think there's an easier, more complete tool than Ahrefs. Hey, Robert, why don't you hit them up to be a sponsor of the show? I am way ahead of you. Ahrefs, the official SEO tool of Search Talk Live. Try their new seven-day trial for only $7. Go to Ahrefs.com. That's Ahrefs.com. Your website analytics data probably feels like this. But it could feel like this. Making sense of all the website data available to you hasn't been easy. Until now. Smilytics transforms your website analytics data into easy-to-understand memorable photographs. You pick your own photo theme. Smilytics. S-M-Y-L-E-Lytics. Like analytics. Only happier. And it's free at smilytics.com. Want to know how your website is doing? Get the big picture with pictures. It's the easiest and most enjoyable way to understand your website data. No charts, no graphs, no cost. Sign up today. Smilelytics. S-M-Y-L-E-Lytics. Like analytics. Only happier at smilelytics.com. Learning a lot from Search Talk Live, but don't know what specific SEO actions you should be taking on your website? Or maybe you've tried to implement SEO on your website, but haven't gotten the results you were aiming for. We've all been there. That's why we here at Pixel Cut Labs created the SEO Project Planner. It's a one-time project where our SEO team runs a full site crawl, overlays data from leading SEO tools, and manually audits every page on your website. We'll use our findings to craft a strategic plan that covers everything from your link building strategy to page-level technical SEO and content recommendations. The Project Planner is perfect for businesses that are serious about SEO and want to hit a home run by leveraging our proven SEO strategy. To learn more and to see pricing for your project, visit pixelcutlabs.com slash STL or text STL to 31996. Pixel Cut Labs, welcome to page one. Get your questions in on Twitter. Type hashtag searchtalklive and your question. Now back to the show. All right, we're back. And remember, guys, if you do have questions, you can go on Twitter and type hashtag Search Talk Live, or you can email us, email a show, Robert, at Search Talk Live, and we can get your questions there. Uh, and it doesn't have to be for this particular show. It can be for any show. But uh, all right, so back to it. Jason, who influences you in the SEO industry? Uh, I'd say AJ Cohn. I think he's a pretty awesome black five-year-old, like, old school dude been around since the beginning i think and uh gives like just really good viewpoints would you say blind five-year-old yeah blind five-year-old isn't that the name of his blog really i'm not familiar (laughs) with that that's the name of the blog blind five-year-old yeah that's funny wow i blind five-year-old.com I thought they were on your playlist, Robert. I thought that was one of your favorite bands. <laughs> would be a good band name. <laughs> well, that's cool. We're going to check that out. Who else you got? Yeah, it's a great blog. It's definitely 
worth checking out. Um, who else do I have? Jenny Has Hasland. I butcher names, so this is like a bad bad part for me. <laughs> One of my big objectives for October was improving my ability to pronounce everybody's name and remembering names. So uh, I'm I'm publicly failing here. I'm pretty good um, at that too. But I think Jenny is is awesome. Uh, she's a fantastic SEO and really has like her head uh, tied on straight. And she's also like super technical. She's into like the automation stuff and figuring out different ways to uh, do more with time. You know, that's the the big thing that we're all up against. I have to add her to our list. Great stuff. Yeah. All right. Is is there anything else? Anyone else? Um, I don't want to butcher more names. <laughs> I think I read like the same stuff as most people. Okay. I'm looking through actually. I have uh, my Slack is set up to accept a whole bunch of feeds, and so I'm trying to figure out like all the blog posts that I consume. Um, you know, as part of part of my feeds. Yeah. Any uh, well-known SEOs? I really like uh, G Squared Interactive, mm -hmm. Glenn Gabe. I think he's awesome too. You get some like really outstanding stuff from him. Any favorite podcast? <laughs> this <laughs> one, obviously. <laughs> Good answer. No. All right. So um, let's get back into it. I want to kind of go down the road now to uh, site speed. Now, that's one of the things that has really, in the last few years, become one of the most important aspects of SEO is site speed. So let's dive into that. What tips do you sure. have or what are the most common elements you think you find and in, in where, where are the big wins in improving site speed? Uh, I've been burned so many times on site speed and I think that you're better off just going AM. Just giving up, just giving it to Google. <laughs> um, uh, there's certainly like a lot of aspects and if you like really know what you're doing, certainly go after it and maybe this is like a failure of mine as an SEO and I'm just not good at site speed. Uh, but I just find that, you know, as an SEO, you're often the bridge between a brand team and a marketing team and the technical side of the dev. Yeah. And you are often just kind of trying to communicate the brand's needs to the dev and trying to improve, you know, over time, especially uh, with site speed. And so I think that focusing on images, focusing on video, certainly like server side stuff. Um, if you have a JavaScript heavy site, getting a pre-rendering layer in there, whether it's um, pre-render.io or like an Akamai layer or something like that can be certainly impactful. Yeah. There's so many different tech stacks out there. I don't think there's like one solution or one size fits all. Yeah. You know where I found the biggest big difference is downloading all your fonts and storing them on the actual server. And then you're pulling the fonts from the server instead of pulling it from a JS file. And it is it probably knocked off second and a half off the mm. site and then um, pre-caching, like he said, with uh, analytics and um, uh, what else? Of course, image compression. Yeah, obviously. It, uh, the biggie. Yeah, image compression, uh, la uh, lazy loading, JavaScript and stuff like that. And then, uh, sorry, my mind went blank. Uh, minifying all your CSS and your uh, JavaScript into one file so it's not doing s multiple calls to the server. Um, and in one of our probably. recent shows, we were talking about this idea of uh, headless CRM. 
and the headless yeah. CRM is basically where the page is a flat HTML and that every X interval, every six hours, every 13 hours, it calls to the server and looks for updates, but the site itself remains a static HTML. And that now is becoming a um, very popular technique to increase speed. So mm -hmm. that there's, you're basically you're minimizing the number of server requests really down to one or two. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Yeah, so yeah. I think we'll see a burgeoning number of headless CRM platforms coming out in the near future. And it, it's really going back to basics. Yeah, it's going back to where the you web know? started, it's right? It's not so bloated like a, you know, WordPress or something. Yeah, remember back in the day you would build a website with front page and mm -hmm. it was just basically HTML? Yeah. That's where I think we need to get back to a little bit. It's certainly starting to get there. And I think a lot is going to be about feed management, too. And just making sure that we're delivering clean feeds that give the right directives, yeah. uh, no matter what's impactful for the site itself. And I, and I really do. I mean, obviously, it, it's a huge ranking factor now. But I mean, as far as crawlability for the Google bots and all that stuff, I mean, it's win-win uh, once you get that site speed up. Yeah. Jason, we were talking about tools before, and I'm interested in your opinion as to when do you experiment with another tool? Meaning I know you've got convictions about the tools that you use all the time and you've automated them, but when do you say, okay, maybe there's somebody out there that has iterated or evolved something new. I'm going to experiment and try something new. How often do you look at the marketplace to reevaluate the tools that you use? Um, I think that most of my tool discovery is actually client-driven, where we'll have a client say, oh, we got XYZ tool. Have we ever used it before? I feel like I've used like 90% of what is available right now. And you know I'll probably go through and start reusing every year or two. Um, so that's probably about how often I'm, I'm analyzing the different tools. And I'm kind of agnostic and don't really care like what a client has. Um, I'll build what, what we need based off of what they have and whatever their you know, historical North Star is. Wow. So you'll apply all your automation, Zapier, IFTT, to whatever their tool is to be able to create the central foundation that you need to be able to do what you do. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, the, the program that we have internally is called Alley, and it can take feeds from just about anything, and it gives us the ability to action off of paid data, off of social data. Um, it, it's really like becomes like a data lake for the client, and we're able to automate a lot of processes, and so I have like a lot of Slack alerts. And we're also able to just like source what we need when we need it so that we're really efficient when we have to work on a given project. Nice. And then the other thing I use a lot are uh, bookmarklets. And so if I'm going through and doing like an opportunity audit or I'm investigating a site, I have a lot of bookmarks that are, have the JavaScript in them. And so they will take me exactly to what it is that I'm looking for, whether it's looking for pages that are not secure or thin content. I want to do like a page speed test, or um, I, I think Wayback Machine is kind of like an undervalued tool, and you can actually source a ton of, of historical information from Wayback Machine. Oh yeah. And so that's like another bookmarklet that I use. Archive.org. Yeah. And do you automate the placement of those bookmarks? No, I have to click a button. They're in my browser. <laughs> Ooh. I mean, it's just instead of uh, using an extension, uh, like in a browser extension, I feel like it slows stuff down a little bit, and it doesn't always give me exactly what I'm looking for. So it allows me to customize it. And even when I'm like going through and doing the audit, I'll know that 
Um, if it's thin, I'm looking for certain patterns within their URLs, and so I'll want to update that bookmarklet as I'm using it, which is why I don't automate that portion of it. I do think that there's like, you have to get intimate with these sites and that you do need to manually go through. Yeah. Uh, I don't think that like an audit that just relies on, on automation or the tools is as effective as an audit that actually goes through and looks at the site from a user's perspective and, and identifies the different things that uh, they encounter along their journey. Let's say, Jason, that uh, somebody gave you a site, and we're, we love plumbers here at Search Talk Live. Someone gave you the average plumber site, not an enterprise-level site, and they said, Jason, we want you to perform an audit. How many tools would be involved in your audit, and how long would that audit take you? Good question. Um, I think that if I'm just coming, I'm surfacing some of like the big things that are going to be difficult or uh, that are going to be impactful to the performance, probably about an hour or two. And in that hour or two, I'll use anywhere from 15 to 30 different tools. 15 to 30 different tools. He just pushes tools. a button. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, there's a lot of buttons. I have to confess I can't even name 15 to 30 tools right now. Yeah, I mean, I have one, two, three. I have like 15 bookmarklets, and then, you know, like there's going to be certain pages that you notice redirects on. There's going to be, you're going to do a crawl of the site. You're going to hook it up with Search Console, Google Analytics, any of your backlink stuff. Uh, check for AMP pages. If they're on Amazon, if they're on like a third-party site, there's different tools for that. Okay. That and opens you, and it you up can do that in one to two hours. Yeah, most of the time. I'm going to farm out all of my audit work to you <laughs> starting I mean, today. I don't think that a two-hour audit is going to be impactful for a, a strategy that's going to take you six months to a year to um, you know, deliver. We'll definitely do like an audit that's probably like 40 to 50 hours in length in if it's going to be a strategy base, but just to surface high-level issues because a lot of the stuff that you end up talking about, the, the person sitting on the brand side isn't necessarily going to understand or know like why that's impactful. All right. Well, let's, let's talk about that a little bit. Let's go into, you know, reporting side of things like – where are you where you're building the value in the beginning and then uh, explaining you know what these reports are that stuff what's your secret for explaining your SEO reports to make sure the brand team gets value thank you <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that reports are kind of like everybody hates their agency reports and so I kind of take the viewpoint that we're always iterating and we're always improving and customizing to build the metrics that make sense to them. I think that I uh, use this, uh, Danaher has this process of, uh, they, they, meant, they used lean manufacturing and so they use these things called bowlers, which are just basically like a bowling scorecard. And it allows you to rank different metrics that you might be after and you can basically build your funnel based on metrics, which then allow you to also project uh, how many leads you'll be able to get, how many of those are going to be qualified leads, how many of those leads are you projecting that you're going to turn to conversion, average order value, like all those types of metrics. But then you might want to double click down. You might want to understand your rankings as like a lead indicator. You probably want to understand uh, your SERP adoption of answer boxes, rich snippets, map packs. Uh, if you're getting like app downloads or if app stores, uh, uh, a goal of yours, you can build that into it as well. 
And so what you end up with is you end up with a document that has maybe four or five different tabs, and each one of those tabs has five to ten different metrics that you're tracking, even though you're only reporting top-line traffic and conversions to the client. But what it allows you to do, you automate a lot of that data, and so you can understand a little bit of a lead indicator, if a strategy is working or not working, a lot of times they'll have uh, different things that pop up during the month and then you can leverage a lot of that information, that data, and you could show them, hey, this is something that we track, we don't share it with you, but this is why we, we track it and this is what it means. We also uh, distribute, uh, we call it the Google Opportunities and Updates Report yeah. and basically it summarizes the whole month of Google or the whole month previous and we try to educate and offer transparency to our clients wherever possible. And I found that by communicating what the heck is going on with Google in a month and why it's eroding our click-through rates, why it's eroding our traffic, you're seeing like increases other, way, other ways, it really allows clients to understand the lay of the land, the ecosystem. That's really great and very impressive. Do you customize your audit document per client or is 90% of what you produce in each audit the same client to client to client to client? It's a customized approach every time. I think that we have a checklist that has probably about 200, 250 different touch points that we'll analyze or look at as part of that. But uh, the, the audit itself is going to be a customized. And then we'll prioritize what, uh, what activities we're going to work on that are going to have the biggest impact up front. You heard John Muller on our show confirm that Google uses the knowledge graph placements or any of the answer boxes as position one when they report ranking data. Now that we know that sometimes when we're position one, we're this format of data on the SERP, and sometimes when we're position one, we're on a normal organic listing format, does that change how you look at ranking data to know that when you are, in quotes, position one, you may not be the same form of material to the user? It depends if my boss or if my client is constantly searching themselves all the time and <laughs> asking me why they aren't ranking number one. Um, I think it's like another one of those metrics. I don't trust any one metric. I don't know if that's come through yet, but I look at a lot of different things you to sure understand do. strengths and weaknesses and you know where a site might be performing really well and some areas that we can improve things. And so I don't think that like rankings are the be all end all. I was against them for a really long time. Stat totally changed my opinion on that as like a tool. I think Stat is uh, just the dog's tuxedo, and gives me like information about what is going on in the bleeding edge. And when something is going bad and you have a boss breathing down your neck, you need to have the answer. And so for waiting for Search Console, and I know that like Search Console now updates within the same day and all this, but you're still waiting on something else to get updated. And I, I rely on those tools that are much faster. To uh, to give that information. It's also not a full picture, you know. Search right. Console. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You know, as we're yep. winding down, one of the really interesting things about your background, Jason, is you've been uh, deeply as an in-house SEO and you've been deeply as an agency SEO. What's your personal preference coming out of those experiences, knowing that you're talking to an audience of a lot of SEOs who might be looking where their next career step is? What's the pluses and minuses of each one of those as you've experienced them? Um, I think in-house you have a lot of resources available to you. You are you literally have a seat at the table most of the time, and so you're in meetings that are impactful. 
but you're not always able to make a lot of change. It's requiring a lot of other people to, uh, you're required to convince them to do whatever it is that you're trying to do. And so that can really slow things down at an enterprise level. And when like a brand gets to a certain size, everybody's just chasing their own metric. Everybody is, is chasing whatever it is that their goal is. And so they're not always aligned and working in the same direction. I think from the agency side, you have a much bigger perspective. You know, I have uh, 20 some odd clients that go across retail, they go across travel. Um, I'm in a lot of different niches. And so I can see how different things happen, different algorithms. You have a lot more information at your disposal. And um, agency life is just kind of fun too. So I think that's where I'm at. <laughs> I'm an agency kid. All right, Jason, it is that time again. Uh, we are doing Believe It or Leave It. We're going to give you three statements we found on the web, and we're going to ask you to tell our audience whether they should believe it or whether they should leave it. Are you ready? Let's do it. All right, number one, next year, Google will announce a premium paid version of Google Search Console in the same way they evolved Google Analytics. Wasn't that debunked? Wasn't that like debunked earlier this year? They like, uh, or maybe that was Maps. They were gonna like monetize Maps or something. Maps. It was Maps. Um, man, I wish Google would leave it. <laughs> and do you <laughs> think they will monetize it? I think they would. They might monetize it. I mean, there's, they're building off a lot of features, and if they give you the ability to actually like update some stuff, like if I could update some site links, I would pay for that. Aren't yeah. they doing a half a billion dollars a day in ad revenue? <laughs> well, you know, but, but think about what they did with Google Ads, right? So Google right. Ads, they watched a lot of third parties build functionality that made Google Ads easier to use better. And then eventually they said, that's a great idea. We're going to build that into Google Ads, right? And so the whole, a lot of the third party marketplace for Google Ads disappeared. You have a lot of tools that are basically enhancing, refining Google Search Console data, why doesn't Google just say, you know what, That's a, those are great ideas. We're just going to build that into that tool and sell it. Hmm. It's plausible. I just cried. It's plausible, cried. but I wouldn't want to see plausible. that. I wouldn't want to see it either, but it's, it's definitely plausible. Next it'll be yeah, analytics. Yeah, I just feel so bad for like the small mom and pop uh, or like somebody that's, that's going out on their own. Like The barrier to entry has never been higher. SEO is already hard enough, and so yeah. then to pay for all these tools, it's, it'll turn off a lot of people. Mm-hmm. All right, question number two. All SEO platforms calculate rank the same way. Leave it. Yeah, that was easy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll give you a layup on that one. Number three, your budget for SEO reporting and analysis tools should equal 5% of the labor cost for your SEO efforts. Says who? <laughs> yeah, and, well, that, there's an article on the web that says it, and he's making an interesting point. He's he, This might have been a he, I think. He's trying to say that the ability for a tool to make you more productive should be in some way aligned with the commitment you have for the labor to do the work. So he was making the point, like, if you're a carpenter, you should spend – if you're a really high-end carpenter, you spend yeah. more on your tools than if you're a low-end carpenter. What's your thought on that, Jason? I like to run my, my marketing programs or campaigns like they are an investment portfolio. I want to know my KPIs. I want to know what's my return on investment. Like ROAS number doesn't quite work for SEO, but if we were to convert it into a ROAS number, 
I would want to know what tactics I'm bringing so that I can have the right mix to my investment portfolio. So I don't think that that's going to work. Like having 5% of my budget go to analytics all the time. Don't, don't know if that's like necessarily what I would do, but I'm kind of curious now to calculate back. Like, well, some of them aren't my... cheap. So I mean, <laughs> yeah, some of them aren't yeah. cheap. And I think, you know, I th obviously the person who wrote this article is, works at an agency. Sure. And so, just making the point that the more they bring in work and the more they bring in labor to do the work, that they should have an equal commitment to investing in tools to do the work that should be commensurate with the amount of labor that's necessary to do the work. Right. I mean, yeah, it made sense. Table stakes. You, you just need them. Like you can't do the job effectively. It sounds like, um, you know, like I've had, a, had examples where I just couldn't get the tool that I needed. Like I couldn't get approval to buy it because it was too expensive. Um, and so it seems like it's a different problem rather than like a ratio of what your manual labor is versus the data yeah. you're collecting. Yeah, the number may be a little bit off the wall, but I think in overall concept to people listening to the show who are doing SEO, I mean, they're walking away from this show knowing that you use 15 to 30 different tools in an audit, which is super impressive mm -hmm. on that. And they're walking away from the show saying, you know, maybe there are tools out there that can make me more productive, make me faster. And Jason gave some examples about how to automate some of those tools. Yeah. And, you know, if, if you can sell something, if you can sell an audit for, you know, a lot of folks are selling audits for $2,500, $5,000. And if it's currently taking you 15 hours to complete that audit and you can buy a better tool or automate it and it now takes you five hours to do that automate and you're still selling it for the same amount of money, that's a win for you. Hell yeah. <laughs> well, great stuff, Jason. I think it's uh, just about time for our Search Talk Live tattoo. Yes. And, Jason, we're going to ask you, based on today's show and some of the great guidance you've given, what is the most succinct, compelling piece of guidance you can give our listeners that is tattooable? Tattooable, huh? Yeah. Um, trust your instincts. Trust your instinct. That's definitely a good tattoo. That's that's t-shirtable too. T-shirtable. Maybe not on your like a forehead or face tattoo, but you can put it somewhere else. Yeah. Now this is an interesting comment coming from a guy who's so committed to tools, though. How do we rationalize your commitment <laughs> to instincts and your commitment to being an amazing tool person? I think that there there is a certain amount of gut feel. Hey, Batman wears SEO a tool and, belt, like, right? <laughs> Exactly, yeah. <laughs> He's awesome. There is a little bit there's so, a little bit of gut feel to it all. Um, and so I think that so much information that we give out as an industry, it's hard for people that aren't in the industry or haven't been in the industry for a while to understand and decipher what's going on. But I think that as like a layman, you can trust your instinct and still get really good SEO or be a quality SEO. So do you find yourself producing these awesome reports that you produce these awesome audits and then kind of sitting back, leaning back in your chair and saying, I could have told you that without those tools. Do you ever find that? Do you have that reaction? No. Oh. no. <laughs> you know, I see agencies doing more often now, and I think it's really cool is they actually, I mean, they, they pay a lot of, a company pays a lot of money for this, but they give them an analytics dashboard on a TV with, you know, just, Traffic, daily traffic, conversions, all that data is right there. Right. That's pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah. Even with all the data, it's about the analytics. It's about the analysis. Like, right. what are you going to do with all that information? How are you going to use it so it's impactful? You know, it's not enough just to have, like, an audit that can spit out that tells you you need your H1s optimized or you have meta descriptions that are all duplicate. 
Right. Like, what are you going to do with that information? How, how are you going to build it into a plan that's going to deliver positive ROI? Yeah. All right. Well, I want to thank you, Jason, for being on the show. It's been awesome. If anybody wants to reach out to you and ask you questions, because uh, we were pretty technical today, so I want to, you know, be able to have them reach out to you for questions. Um, yeah. Uh, so you can hit me up on Twitter, um, Sunray, S-O-N-R-A-Y. Uh, you can also email me at seo at pmg.com. Very nice. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. It's been great. Matt, did you want to add something? Great stuff, Jason. I mean, really, uh, you're doing some really impressive work, and thank you for sharing it with us. Thanks for having me on, guys. It was a blast. All right. Bye-bye. All right, guys. Well, I want to share a little data with you because I love our listeners, and they, uh, they're all over the world. And I wanted to share with you some of the places we're getting a lot of listeners from. Uh, United Kingdom, Canada, Australia, Kenya, uh, Germany, India, France, Israel, Denmark, uh, our most, our second best, which is the UK, which is quite, to me, I mean, land-wise, Canada is a lot bigger. So we need to, you, you guys in Canada need to spread the word about Search Talk Live. We'll have to do some shows remotely in Canada. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll talk about... <laughs> SEO. No. Um, all right. So uh, the other thing I wanted to mention: don't forget to check out Pixel Cut Labs. If you are a new site owner and you have not, uh, you don't know a lot about SEO, and you're listening to the show, uh, trying to learn as much as you possibly can, Pixel Cut Labs can take a lot of the load off your shoulder. You can go uh, to their site they do a complete site audit give you a report and breakdown of what you need to get done uh, to your site uh, so check them out pixel cut labs they're one of our sponsors and of course hrefs for seven dollars uh for I'm saying it back seven day trial seven day trial for seven dollars try them out uh i guarantee once you've gotten your data i mean you you get new data every single day it's uh, some tools out there you have to wait a week or or longer to get some data and it's not always put out there to where you can really deep dive into the data. If you're a data type kind of person, uh, you can track keywords, you can, um, and they tr not only just do the track keywords, but you can track other things that you're ranking for that you maybe not have th wouldn't have thought of. Uh, there's what else we can best add. competitor analysis out there. Yes. Content gaps between your competitors. You can find content that way to write about, uh, you know, you put your competitions in, uh, competitive websites, and then they can give you kind of what other people are writing about that maybe you're not. Or, uh, uh, I mean, just the list goes on. There's, I mean, you can go for days on data there. <laughs> yeah, and great training, too, and great videos. Easy yeah, to yeah. use. And, and check out their blog, too. I mean, their blog's pretty amazing. But, uh, all right, guys. Well, I want to thank you. I guess the fire truck's going by. <laughs> but, <laughs> I guess uh, that means the show's really over. Yeah. The firemen yeah. are coming. <laughs> so thanks. thanks for listening to the show. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Search Talk Live is sponsored by the Robert Palmer family of companies. If you have questions for Search Talk Live, or you're interested in being a guest or a sponsor of the show, email Robert at searchtalklive.com. That's searchtalklive.com.